0: I want to state again, if I um, forgot to or forgotten I did, baptism February 5th is the date we have set. Anyone who needs to be baptized, follow Christ, be baptized, let us know. We know who you are, but you can contact me uh, as well. Talk with me after church. We want to help you obey the Lord. Matthew chapter 9 is where we are this Lord's Day morning. We begin at verse 18 in our exposition of the Gospel of Matthew. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years... Came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave. For the girl has not died, began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news spread throughout all that land. I use as a subject this morning the preeminent power of Jesus. Two realities confront fallen man, disease and death. Disease is as inescapable as death is inevitable and both devastate mankind. The conquest of death is beyond the power of man. His notable and amazing life-preserving advances in medical science have not and cannot yield the demise of death. Death is not, you see, merely the cessation of biological function It is a result of a divinely decreed imposition on man for his rebellion against God. It is a curse that God imposed upon man because man rebelled against his creator's command. The narrative before us is a presentation of Jesus who is the conqueror of disease and death. God alone has the solution for disease. God alone has the solution for death. Both disease and death are powers. But Jesus' power is preeminent. His power stands above them. And in this passage, we see it displayed as people place their faith in him. The first thing we want to notice in verses 18 through 19 is the plea of faith plea of faith you'll notice while he was saying these things to them matthew tells us jesus was discussing his gospel the gospel of grace salvation by grace alone and contrasting it with judaism which majored on works righteousness to obtain salvation Salvation by grace is God's unmerited favor. Judaism proposed that you could be saved by what you do. And Jesus was dismantling that whole notion, that whole concept that arose from the thinking of men and demons, ultimately, as fundamentally incompatible with the reality of salvation by grace alone. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot do anything to deliver himself from his sin. It takes nothing but the sheer sovereign grace of God. During this essential discussion, while he was saying these things, verse 18 tells us, a ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum interrupts our Lord's teaching. You'll notice he came and bowed down before him. That's humility and reverence. This official whose name was Jairus, Mark tells us this. And he uttered the words, my daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. I, I, I need to let you know something here. If you read the synoptics, those other gospels that say essentially the same thing, same view, um, Mark and Luke, you will see there is a difference between what Matthew records and what Mark and Luke record. About this incident. Mark and Luke are chronological. They lay it out in a time sequence. Of the events. Mark does Matthew doesn't do that. He isn't chronological. He doesn't give a time sequence. Matthew in fact. Is thematic in his presentation. Of the events of Jesus life. He topically. Talks about it and that's good to know because when you compare uh, these parallel accounts you'll see the differences and you'll wonder why is there a difference between Matthew and why is there a difference between Mark and and Luke what's the deal here is that a contradiction no no contradiction it's just the way they differently approached telling the story compression is Matthew's way of doing it He, he compresses the events he eliminates details he gets as it were to the chase Mark It's more lengthy. And so he adds addition, little detail. Get this, compression is not contradiction. These writers of Scripture, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, did it uh, in their approach in the way uh, that they chose and the way the Lord wanted them to do it. So I want you to understand that, because as you grow and you understand the Word of God, as you compare and you wonder, compare and contrast, how can that be? Now you have some idea how it can be. But you'll notice something, getting back to what's directly here for us from Matthew. We see that Jairus said, my daughter has just died. But his words are profound. Not only does he report the reality of her situation, he says something that is far more important. But come and lay your hand on her. And she will live. These are words of faith. Jarius understood that Jesus had the power to overcome which is that which is normally insuperable, that which cannot be overcome. He believed that Jesus could raise his daughter from the dead. He believed in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He didn't see that as beyond the scope of Christ to overcome what is a finality in human life, death. He understood that Jesus' power was greater than death's power. What death could take away, Jesus could give back. Death would have to loosen its grip. When Jesus acted to restore life, Jarius understood this. Where did Jarius' faith in the power of Jesus come from? That's a good question. It is possible that the synagogue in which Jesus and he saw the mighty power of Christ displayed also, Jarius had no doubt heard about and had even seen the results of Jesus' miraculous healings of his fellow residents in Capernaum. Think about it. The news of healings would be bandied about, told about by people, and Jairus was not some hermetically sealed synagogue official, unaware of what's transpiring in his community. He knew, and he had heard the stories. Perhaps he even talked to some people. Jesus healed extensively in Capernaum. He had an extensive resume there of his healings in Capernaum. Further, it can't be doubted that God was working in Jairus' heart. That divine work in Jairus' heart could cause him to ask, Jesus, you just come, come to my house, lay your hand on my daughter, and she will be brought back to life. God was working his heart, generating that faith. The faith that he had in a maximum family crisis, death. Let me tell you something about Jesus. You notice from verse 18 to verse 19, it just simply says Jesus got up and began to follow him. Jesus did not hesitate to accompany Jairus. He said, Why would he do that? He asked no questions, he just simply arose. In Matthew 20 28, Jesus tells us this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' whole life and ministry was about serving. He is the Lord of glory, and he came down here. He is the creator, and he came to serve his creatures. Think about that, if you will. The natural impulse of most of us is to be served. But here is the creator saying, I want to serve. I am going to serve. In fact, my ultimate service will be to give up my life as a payment for your soul. You want to be like Jesus? Serve. It's how you mimic him in one respect. So our Lord arises. The plea of faith. The next heading is faith rewarded verses 20 through 22 he's on his way to raise his little girl back to life one of the gospel accounts it says that when this woman approached jesus that natural that delay him you know you're going there and you're thinking uh, he's going to raise my daughter and then here comes this woman interrupting the, the procession to my house and jesus had to look at him tell him, don't fear just believe And this woman suffering from a hemorrhage. Twelve years. This lady is bleeding, incessant bleeding. Some suggest it's a menstrual, um, menstruational bleeding. Mm, I, I don't know. Who I do know, there was a hemorrhage. It lasted twelve years. She had sought. A cure, according to Mark chapter 5, verse 26. It says, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but had grown worse. Can you imagine that? You go to the doctor and you turn out, and this is no knock on doctors. This is a situation that defied human help. And she had gotten worse. Luke who is a doctor. He comes to the defense of his fellow practitioners. He said in Luke eight forty three, she could not be healed by anyone. Dr. Luke pronounced her situation as medically incurable. There's no human help. None was possible. To add to the woman's misery, her hemorrhaging Made her ceremonially unclean according to Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. This ceremonial uncleanness meant that she was excluded from the synagogue and temple because she would contaminate anyone and everything she touched and render them unable to participate in worship. So she was isolated. Even her family members had to keep a distance from her. Twelve long years. This meant she's financially drained, emotionally exhausted, religiously excluded. Then there's the physical discomfort and the social humiliation caused by many years of continual bleeding. This was her lot in life. But there was hope. Jesus is coming her way. He was near. I believe this woman uh, had heard about our Lord's power. She had to live in Capernaum just, just like Jairus. She understood his wonder working power. No doubt she had heard the stories of others. Maybe a neighbor who had been healed by Jesus. And here's her opportunity. And she was the one who had to stay away from people, but mm, she's not doing that. This is my chance. It's my opportunity. In verse 20 it says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. She came in secret, as it were that's why I believe she came up behind him because she would have been embarrassed to be exposed she touched a fringe of his garment fringe so tassel according to Numbers chapter 15 verses 37 through 41 God to sew tassels on the bottom of their cloaks as a visible symbol that they belong to God And they also served, the tassels did, as a reminder to the Jews to serve the Lord. It's your dress where it has spiritual significance. <laughs> it wasn't a fashion statement. Numbers fifteen thirty nine: the tassels were also a reminder to help the Jews to remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. They would look at the tassels and remember God's commands, the Mosaic law, and do them. And what this meant, the tassels were like a mnemonic device or a memory aid for them on a daily basis. What's interesting here. Jesus wore a cloak that had tassels. He wore the cloak with tassels in conformity to the law of God the Old Testament. It shows that he was faithful to Old Testament law. Jesus was perfect. He kept the law perfectly. There was nothing he didn't do that God required. And why is that important? Because we needed a perfect sacrifice. We needed one who kept the divine law perfectly, who did not at all miss a single point in his entire life and he alone was unblemished and he alone could die for you and me. And this woman comes up to touch the fringe of his cloak. And she was saying, notice, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. These are words of faith. She knew if I did this, I'll be well. On verse 22, Jesus turning, seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Daughter, a term of warmth, closeness, tenderness. He knew she had touched his garment. He knew power had flowed from him, it says in one of the other Gospels. She wanted her to take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. Her faith was a channel through which the power of God flowed and delivered her from her physical affliction. But, I I want to tell you something right now. More than physical healing took place here. The words made well are from the Greek sozo, translated S-O-Z-O, sozo. It means to save, deliver, heal. I follow, I believe it's true, MacArthur's exegesis here. I didn't come up on this last week. I've kind of dealt with this for a few years. I believe his exegesis on this is spot on in that salvation also took place with respect to this woman. I'm going to put it in my words, what I believe was going on here. Uh, The common Greek word for physical healing is iomai. The word used in our text and in the parallels of Mark 5.34 and Luke 8.48 employ sozo. The usual word for being saved from sin. You remember the ten lepers? In Luke chapter 17, it provides another illuminating example of this for us in addition to what I just said. Those ten lepers, they asked for healing, and Jesus healed all ten of them. It says they were cleansed. Catharizo is the word, cleansed. But were, remember that one that came back and thanked God and glorified God? Remember that one? He was the only one that was saved. All ten of them were healed, but only one of them was saved. Jesus says in Luke 17, 19, your faith has made you Well. The word is used again there in a different form, but it's the same word. The others were cleansed, but the term zozo was not used for the nine. It's only used for that one who came back. He didn't just receive the physical healing, he received spiritual healing. That's the case with this woman. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. A woman's faith was more than faith for healing, but also faith that saved, saved her body and her soul. And I'm going to tell you something, that's more important. We all want to be healed physically. But what's more important is to be healed spiritually. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a doctor, a, phys- a, a medical doctor. He, In fact, he was a medical doctor to the queen he was that good God called him to the ministry what bothered Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is that he said he had healed people and they go back to sinning just healing their bodies and they went back to sinning and God was calling him to the ministry went to the ministry or could preach the gospel so people could be healed spiritually in their sinning and go to heaven what's the big deal you get healed and you keep on sinning and die and go to hell What is more important? This woman was saved. Clear faith, faith rewarded, faith fulfilled. Uh, that lady's faith was rewarded beyond what she anticipated. When Jesus came into the Phil's house and saw flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, let me say something about this. <laughs> Um, flute players they were uh, professional mourners what they did in Israel they hired people the deceased family did to lament and mourn pay people to do this and it's noisy I mean they had a noisy funeral (laughs) I've read commentators say well in the west uh, they are quiet affairs I said, You guys need to get out of your ivory tower to go to some other churches because some funerals ain't quiet. I've been in some, boy, would y'all calm it down a little bit? That's <laughs> so was. There, a crowd in noisy disorder. And Jesus said, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. Of course, Jesus was well aware that the girl had died. In John 11, 11, he responded in a similar way with respect to his friend Lazarus, who had been deceased for four days. By saying this, when Jesus said the girl has not died but is asleep, our Lord just simply redefined death as a temporary state. Temporary state. The same word picture for death is used throughout the New Testament for believers. You go through the New Testament and you'll see it talks about us being asleep. Not our soul, but our body. Asleep. Death is not permanent for the child of God. And that a future resurrection awaits. Funerals, cemeteries, mortuaries are a part of this age. But in the eternal age to come, those things will no longer exist. They too are temporary. In eternity, there won't be adjacent buildings as we have over on Robinson, I think, in Porter, where there is the funeral home, there is a hospital, and there is a pharmacy. Dr. Spark. Isn't that interesting? You go to the hospital, you get out alive, you just get your pharmacy prescription fulfilled. Or if you go to the hospital, you don't get out alive, they send you right over to Primrose. Isn't it amazing, those all right there together? That's a testament to the reality of death, but for the believers, we understand that it's temporary and that will not exist in the eternal age to come. Now you notice Jesus put them out the other gospel says so and they began laughing at him it's mocking laughter these hired mourners who at one moment were feigning sorrow the next moment they can laugh but they were rec- they recognized that this girl was indeed dead so remove them I want you to look at Mark with me Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Verse 41. Verse 41, Mark chapter 5. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, it's Aramaic. Oh, by the way, Jesus is at least bilingual. Greek, Aramaic, maybe in trilingual, Hebrew. Yeah. By the way, those folk, then, they were, in that area, they were bilingual at least. So Jesus says "Or Talitha kum, Talitha. What Mark does, he translates for us. He says, little girl, but the word could also mean youth or lamb. That's what Jesus says. It's an expression of endearment and kindness. He says, said to her, I say to you, get up. Do you realize what he just did? He spoke directly to the person, the little girl. And he commanded that girl's soul to come back to her body. He said, say to you, get up. You don't say that unless you can call the soul back. You can't give a command like that unless you can call the soul back. And Jesus did that. Immediately. Mark loves the word immediately. Euthus is the word. He repeatedly says that uh, in his gospel. You've noticed that as you've read it, I'm sure. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. This 12-year-old. And immediately <laughs> they were completely astounded. This child was raised back to life. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat, sustain her life. The first part know about this because people were looking for a wrong, the wrong kind of Messiah. What this is here is a preview: the resurrection to come. Our uh, hope is grounded in the reality of the resurrection is it not death would be intolerably bleak if it terminated our existence or if there was no way back if a man dies will he live again Job asked that question yes he will the text was read this morning and opened our service, and I want to look at it again and draw a few things out of it to conclude this sermon. If you'll go with me, the First Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 extensive argument about the resurrection from the pen of the apostle Paul is the classic location on the doctrine of resurrection in the New Testament yay the whole Bible I'm just going to run through it quickly here and draw one or two things it says here verse 20 1 Corinthians 15 but now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits Of those who are asleep. First fruits. The agricultural language. Harvesting language. In the economy of many. In the Old Testament Jews in particular. They knew what a harvest was. You went and harvested the crop. The first fruits of it. And that meant more was to come. Jesus Christ. Because he was raised from the dead. He's the first fruits. That means there's more fruit to come. There's a harvest to come. Guess who the harvest is? You and you and you. If you're a child of God. We're the harvest. We're the resurrection harvest. Because Jesus has been raised, there's going to be a harvest to come. And all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are that harvest, and we shall be raised. And Paul explains further for since by a man came death by a man also came the resurrection of the dead the Lord Jesus Christ for as in Adam all die Adam our our father the head of the race he sinned and he died and we all die because of him but in Christ all will be made alive those who are in Christ united to Christ we will be made alive wow what a profound change But there's an order to it. I don't have time to go through. This. I'm not going to preach this passage. But let me let you know. <laughs> I said that while I'm doing it. Okay I get it. <laughs> Christ the first fruits. Remember that. He's the first fruits. He's been raised from the dead. His resurrection means there's more to come. And after that. Those who are Christ at his coming that delineates that the verse 22 Christ all will be made alive not every single person this particular resurrection this is the resurrection of life it delineates that those who are Christ at his coming there will be the rapture of the church will be raised tribulation saints will be raised in the tribulation will be raised but there's an order to the resurrection, but all who belong to Christ will be raised. And then after his reign on the planet, he's going to hand the kingdom over to God the Father. That's what it says in the text, right? He's got to reign till he puts all of his enemies under his feet, subjugates them. Jesus is going to reign here on this planet until he puts all of his enemies under his feet everybody who repudiates him, everybody who hates him, everybody who refuses his lordship, he is going to reign until he subjugates every last one of them. None excluded. In verse 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. What that means is death along with Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. You'll be done no more what we read in Matthew what's also recorded in Mark what's also recorded in Luke just previews of what's to come Jesus by his preeminent power is going to accomplish all of this it's in the future if you're a Christian that's your future that's what you have to look forward to that's going to happen to you you ought to thank God you're saved because God's plan for you it's a great plan death is not the end for us resurrection's coming resurrection to life because of the preeminent power of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the Word of God is truth. Breaks through all the noise and the foolishness of the world, the ignorance of people. Thank you that victory is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Help us to live in light of these truths. May they nourish and nurture our hearts, console and comfort our minds. Help us to live knowing that it's going to come to pass just as you said. That we may be steadfast Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. As your word, first Corinthians fifteen, fifty eight, clearly declares. Continue to glorify your name through us, continue to build us up in the faith. Save any lost man or woman in this room this day any lost man or woman who's listening via the internet. Bring them to yourself for your own glory and praise and for their everlasting joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.